0: Let's think show.com. Welcome to the let's think show. This is Shepard, the voluntarist. And on the line today, I have a friend and fellow philosopher, Patrick. Patrick, how are you doing today?
1: I am great. It's cool to talk to you. Every time I talk to you, it makes me I, I leave happier than before I before I showed up. So I'm looking forward to this.
0: Well, same back at you, and it's it's so neat in this this movement that is somewhat new in the last years that it's become popular. Uh, It's so neat to know other people that are really thinking and pushing us, pushing my thoughts and making me think harder. I I think that's pretty awesome. Um, And so I know a bit about you, but for my audience. Uh, are you a family man? Do you have any, any wives or children? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have a wife and, um, a small gaggle
0: of children. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah. perfect. And by the way, folks, uh, if you have not already seen a video, uh, we were at a convention, uh, Patrick and I were at the same convention recently and he did a talk, uh, and later we'll give a website that he has this talk on, uh, Patrick and I have something Uh, kind of in common, we've we both have, uh, or I had a daughter, he has a daughter that had cancer, and fortunately, his is his situation is turning out much better. What was your awesome news just in the last week or two, Patrick?
1: Well, we did the ceremony where it's called Ringing the Bell, where they take us sort of uh, into a private area of the hospital and they have a plaque on the wall with a bell that you get to ring when you complete treatment. So we have been about a year and a half without a positive leukemia tests so it's pretty good news
0: that is awesome and how old is she uh she is five now five that is awesome that is awesome um and how long have you been a voluntarist oh uh
1: i feel like coming up on 10 years now yeah
0: i think so i think i'm about to hit my my decade yeah Right, get your plaque, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're, what, what do we have? A golden watch, or I don't know what we do uh, in our in our little tribe. But uh, well, that's, that's a good long time to be in it. Um, today, I thought that uh, Patrick and I might chat about the island analogy, and the island analogy is something that Larkin Rose, who is a uh, very important person in the the. Libertarian movement uh, that he's spoken about in the past, and he just kind of puts up a scenario, and then we try to figure out some good ways to go from there. The reason that the island analogy is important is because I think too often when I'm arguing with somebody or dialoguing, uh, we're we're kind of midstream. And we're already down this track of, you know, we've been 100 years of being forced by the government to do this thing and having our taxes taken. And it's hard to imagine what a maybe a better way could be in our current paradigm. So it's kind of fun sometimes to step out of it and see what's going on. Um, so let's kind of go through this. And so the, the rough idea is there's an airplane flying along and it crashes into the ocean uh, beside a uh, tropical island. And we'll just say it's a one section. It's a mile by mile. And 150 people survive. We don't know how long we're going to be there. Uh, but we we'll figure it'll be at least a while. So we, we kind of have to get ready for that. What is the place, Patrick, where the airplanes disappear in the uh, Bermuda Triangle? uh, Yes, Bermuda Triangle. So we're going to say that that's where this happened. And so 150 of us have made it onto the island. Uh, And uh, I kind of jotted out just some characters for this. Do you have those uh, in front of you, Patrick, as well? Yes, I do. And just, just to be clear for my audience,
1: you know, we talk about some nerdy philosophy stuff on my channels quite a bit, and I'm sure that some of them are going to be watching this. Uh, So I just wanted to clarify that I have my own scenario that we use called the island versus the city. That's not what we're talking about today. This is something totally different and really cool that Larkin does. And yes, I do have your notes pulled up in front of me. I just wanted to clarify for, for my, for my nerds, you know, (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. And you know, folks, uh, those of you who are listening, if you kind of get into our, our group, our tribe, our, our group of friends, the voluntarists, you'll kind of find that there are a lot of us are nerds. You can almost go to a convention and ask a person, you know, what, what kind of software engineer are you? And uh, what new <laughs> app do I have to download? Because all of the other ones suck. And you'll be told the answer to both of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, since I'm odd, uh, I will... We have 10 different characters here, and we're just going to real quickly go through these and kind of set the stage for a fun story, and then we're going to work through some problems. Uh, Why don't I take the odd ones, Patrick, and uh, maybe if you want to tell people about the even ones. Sure. So Uh, so first – Maybe just headline it with like what is
1: the purpose of this analogy, right? It's The purpose is to – Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, the purpose is to sort of like illustrate uh, how uh, a free society or a voluntarist society would solve various problems, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. The the idea is we always, when we hear somebody saying, hey, what if uh, what if we didn't have any taxation? Then somebody's going to say, well, how would you pay for stuff? And since we are caught midstream, this is just kind of a, a little thought experiment. It's imperfect. It's, you know, it's not perfect. It's, but it kind of gives us an idea of how maybe a society might organize itself. Yeah, that's a good point. Cool so dude number one is Murray Murray is blind uh but he, he winds up here on the island he finds a stick and he uses rocks or whatever and he sharpens it into a sharp point and then he holds it over the fire and dips it in water or whatever to really harden it and Murray blind Murray ends up with a nice little spear
1: okay uh number two and this this stuff is kind of new to me i'm not an, I, I i haven't played with the scenario much so i'm looking forward to this And number two is Sherry, who is a medical professional. She finds some aloe vera plants on the island uh, that she can use to treat sunburns. And she also finds other plants to help with other medical issues.
0: Perfect. And then we've got Jesus. And Jesus is a great carpenter. Uh, So as soon as he's there on the island, he finds some driftwood and bamboo and and I guess the whatever kind of sinewy plants. And he's thinking about how he's going to make a hut out of these things. So he has some shelter.
1: And then we have Pam, uh, who is relieved that at least she won't be getting arrested for an outstanding check fraud case that she has pending while she's on the island. So she's actually probably the only
0: one happy to be there. Right. (laughs) She's the only one. Hey, she's finally safe for the first time, she thinks. (laughs) Uh, Next, we have Reardon. And Reardon is an honest guy, but he's really greedy and he's very self centered. And it turns out he's a really handy fisherman.
1: All right. And then we have Big John, who plans to use his time on the island to get into even better shape and to practice his katas.
0: Hi-ya! He's going to become a real hardcore dude. And then we have Fat Tony. And Fat Tony is always looking for a deal. He's a wheeler and dealer. He's looking to broker stuff. And he did not know how to fish or anything like that or build a hut. But he's really good with numbers. And then Grandma Clarice, who enjoys being motherly to everyone. And and folks, just so you know, we're making this up, my late grandmother's name is Clarice. So that's how that came up. So I think I won't be getting sued by her for uh, defamation of character or anything. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, this next person is Joey. And Joey is a pedophile. And that's all I've got to say about that disgusting piece of crap.
1: Gross. The Johnson family is a large one, full of hardworking people with good intentions, but not much creativity. <laughs>
0: So now we have our 10 characters, and we've got another 140 people on this island, and we think, okay, what's going to happen right off the bat? Uh, What are some of the things that could go wrong that we might need a government? And it's easy when we look at something like the, uh, was it Little House on the Prairie, how noticeably absent one organizational type was. And that's because the Lane family had a good number of anarchists in them. And uh, Little House on the Prairie had no government people involved. But then we think about it and we say, wait a minute, how would that really work? Well, that's why we have this island analogy. So who did I say was a fisherman?
1: Was it uh, it.
0: Reardon? Yeah, Reardon, yep. Yeah. Big John is our protector security dude. Uh, and then, I, yeah, Reardon is the fisherman. And, uh, you know, somehow I guess he's wound up catching a uh, fish or two or three. And Pam ends up stealing a fish because nobody's accepting her checks on the island, I guess. <laughs> so she steals a fish. What do we do with Pam? Like, if this was really truly we were on the island, what do you think? Well, I, I think you just, you, you just kind of slip
1: something in that was really important to this entire scenario. No one would accept Pam's checks on the Island because they knew about her history. She had a reputation for fraud for not being honest in her dealings. And so people refused to take her at her words and that left her in a state of hungriness that she had to find (laughs) a solution to, right?
0: Yes. And that's a good point. And rather than doing, what I think other 149 people on the Island would say is a, uh, a good thing. That's maybe, maybe a, uh a universally preferable behavior, which would be not stealing. She chooses to steal something. And so when we think about what, well, what would happen to her? Uh, I don't know if she stole my fish, I'd probably grab it back. I'd yell a lot because if you're taking a fish from a woman and, People didn't know what happened before. They might come up and beat me up. But if I said, "Hey, everybody, Pam stole my fish," and I grab it from her, uh, I think that would be a pretty good resolution for this first time. And I'd probably yell at her and say, "Hey, don't you ever do that again?"
1: Yeah, you know, I'm used to having like super nerdy philosophical conversations about how the how the equations of ethics works in these situations. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to: is if if she thinks it's okay to you know use force or to initiate force in a situation to take your property then she cannot complain when
0: you do the same thing back to her to retrieve your property so yeah We will talk more about fish thieves and such with Patrick uh, here on the Let's Think show. After the break, we'll get right back to our island analogy by Larkin Rose. Most of the theft, assault, and murder in the world is committed not by individuals acting on their own malice, but by individuals obeying the orders of governments. The worst atrocities in history were legal and were the result of a very small number of truly nasty people acquiring positions of power, combined with a very large number of average people who viewed those few people as authority and felt obligated to obey their commands. It has been the law-abiding taxpayers who have funded and empowered every oppressive regime in history. No, the belief in authority does not make people good instead it tricks otherwise good people into tolerating or even proudly condoning legalized injustice let's think show.com